chapter 25 in Exodus, and we're continuing our study on uh, Jesus in the Old Testament, in Moses, and in the prophets. And I'm going to look at chapter 25 and read the first nine verses. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall raise my contribution. And this is the contribution which you are to raise from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet material, fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, porpoise skins, acacia wood, oil for lighting, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and setting stones for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. According to all that I am going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, just so you shall construct it. Father, I pray that you would bless this reading of your word to us today. Give us insight and understanding. But more than that, Father, I'm, I'm asking you in conjunction with the prayer or with the words that my wife shared about, about going we know that this church needs young people. We need children. We need teachers. We need folks that are of different gifts. We need all different age groups. And Lord, I pray that you would raise up a whole community of people who are leaders in the faith, people who are willing to give of their time and their hearts to invest in the people of God and the people around about us. And we know that all the people that we need are in the harvest right now. And so I'm asking you, Father, for a tremendous ingathering of the harvest. I pray, Father, that this church would be filled not with members from other churches, but with people who come to know you in this place and are raised up to become leaders in this church, not just for now, but for future generations, and I pray, Lord, that they would have a good, solid foundation in their lives that comes out of your word, and I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to take you on a little journey today to different parts of the world. I'm going to start off with this. Now, you got to imagine, back when the Bible was written in the days of Jesus, there were very few people that were actually educated. Not many people could actually read or write. Um, they would do arithmetic with uh, an abacus board or with stones. Um, when they would buy and sell, they would, they would barter with one another. And, and if, you, if you can imagine what it would be like with no signs, there's no road signs, there's no, <laughs> there's no signs on stores, <laughs> and stores are just little little shops with some kind of a, a, a thatched roof maybe over it. Uh, um, you you got to go back to a very primitive time. There's no pavement on the roads. The Romans actually built cobblestone roads, major highways where you could take your cart down with uh, your mules or horses. And, and uh, you, you know, the, it's, it's an entirely different kind of life, whole different kind of lifestyle. Now, if you can't read... How are you going to read the laws of Moses? <laughs> You're going to have just a few scrolls and few people who are able to write on those scrolls. 
and, and they're made out of papyrus. They're, they're bulky. They're, you roll them up on sticks. And, and so it's not, diff, it's not easy. How do you learn? Well, if you learn something, you learn by observation. You learn by, by talking to one another. Or you learn by um, re repetition. So somebody would stand in front of like a classroom and they would say something. You would repeat it back to them. They would say it. You'd repeat it back until you'd memorized it. And you would memorize all different kinds of songs, maybe. You would learn through a song how, you, you know, the lyrics to a song you can remember a lot easier than if you just had somebody <laughs> say it to you, right? So you've got all these different methods of learning, and that has taken over as well when people started to um, become artistic and create. So if you're going to have people creating things, if you want to remember the Bible stories, you would end up with somebody maybe like Michelangelo in the Sistine Chapel who uh, paints this beautiful, incredible thing in the Vatican. When you go in there, there's just... Has anybody ever been to the Sistine Chapel besides me? <laughs> I don't know. Not something that everybody can do, but if you get there, remember um, you have, for example, here the... The um, uh, let's see. This is the creation of Adam. From you see that that was part of the. We mostly have that in on picture postcards. Or here you've got Adam and Eve, and the, the serpent trying to deceive Eve, and so forth. And, and so the way in which people were able to communicate. What was in the Bible was through their art. So here in the Sistine Chapel, you have that. If you go to, this was a fun one. We went to Krakow. Krakow is near Auschwitz, the famous um, concentration camp that killed thousands of Jews. Uh, or uh, in Krakow, you have Schindler from Schindler's List. You may have seen the movie. They've got his, his factory there. It was Fun to see, but this is in the cathedral. Look at the look at the pulpit. <laughs> this is a this is a pulpit. That's a that's a boat, and here's the sail up here. You see, and this is it, sort of in the middle, located in the middle of the sanctuary. I mean, somebody went through a lot of trouble, but who actually wanted to say something about the boats and the boats that are present in the scriptures, and all those pictures of boats in the scripture come alive to you. When, when somebody is standing in a boat preaching. Or this is in the big cathedral in Milan. It's probably very famous for what they call a rose window. And uh, absolutely gorgeous. It's huge. I mean, uh, it, it's bigger than the wall back there. Um, a huge rose window. But look at all the Bible stories in this uh, uh, window. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. Or, or you can't see it so well back there, but this door, which was the door into that cathedral, huge door, maybe, maybe I would come up to about here um, on that door. But all of these uh, pictures talk about different people in the Bible, people that are named that are great. I, uh, that helps people remember things. Now, I, I've been to so many more cathedrals around the world and different, very simple, and, but a lot of them are dramatic. But even here, look, look, look. Um, 
you know, you look at these, you've got a harp up there that's about praise, and you've got a light over here that's the light of the world. It, it, there's all these things that there's the Lamb of God, there's the cross over there, there's the Ten Commandments. You see, we, we've got it here too, right? And so there's a means by observation that something is communicated through the artwork, and that's how people would remember the stories that were told them. Now, this here is a picture of the Salisbury Cathedral by John um, uh, Constable, a very famous artist in Britain. Um, absolutely gorgeous, a wonderful, beautiful cathedral. A and I remember going in and I'm saying, look at all the expense and everything that went into this thing, all the years, all the labor, oh man, look at that. And I said, you know, is there anything about this that, Lord, really honors you? <laughs> is it, yeah, it's just stones, you know. That, and it was like I looked up into a corner up on the top in one of the nave pieces, and it was like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, the man who worked on this, who put these stones in, he loved me. <laughs> and suddenly the place seemed to mean something to me. It had value. Um, this is an interesting one, too. This is the cathedral in the city where we went to live in 1981. It had been completely bombed down. L not six feet was left of any of this after the war. And uh, they were still rebuilding it. When we went back, when we moved there in 1981, it took another 10 or 15 years afterwards till they finished it and, and did all the stonemasonry stuff and, uh, you know, the gargoyles and everything and finally had a big... Uh, uh, they put the steeple up with, with a real big long crane and uh, it was fun but the, there was a deacon in that church who loved God and was not wanting to s submit to the uh, Catholic persecution and came to the United States and purchased Manhattan from the Indians <laughs> from in the original Broadway and Wall Street by the way are present in the town of Basel where we lived for 32 years. This is St. Paul's Cathedral. You may have seen this one on TV. And uh, absolutely gorgeous. And all this stuff, you know, people buried there, as in Westminster and in Windsor Castle, you have all the kings and queens. You have all the famous people. If you go to Canterbury, where uh, Sir Thomas More was, uh, no, uh, it wasn't Tom Thomas More. Who was it that was killed? He became archbishop for political purposes. and had a conversion, <laughs> and the king got pretty mad at him, killed him, and he said, who will rid me of this meddlesome priest? And, and anyway, um, it, it, I've been to uh, St. Paul's a few times. Uh, my father knew um, one of the, what did they call him, a deacon of the, what? The dean. He knew the dean there. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I, I got a chance to chat with him and so forth. But uh, they would have tremendous uh, choirs and uh, uh, boys' choirs and a lot of fabulous music. And so people would go there for what they would call even song or for communion. And I remember sitting there in this huge auditorium, absolutely huge. And, and I, I'm, I'm saying, Lord, I, I don't understand this, you know. Um, uh, it's nice music. I like the music. It, 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 it's fun, you know. I'm not really getting excited like 
when, when God starts to move in our church service and, and we start to feel his presence, <laughs> I'm sitting in this incredible, uh, you know, place with all this stuff, and, 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 and then they took up an offering. And so they're taking up this offering, and they've got a bag at the end of a long pole, and they stand in the middle, and they, they shove the pole down in front of you as it passes you. I, I put some coins in that I had in my pocket and put them in, and, and they keep on going. And then they come back, and then they have to take the uh, coins, and the, there's a sort of a, 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 wall, a little fence there, sort of like this. And so there's a priest standing there. The guy comes walking up, and he gives him the, 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 the uh, bags with the money in it, and he turns around, and then I'm, I'm going, what a carry-on, you know. And they, they turn around, and he walks up to the next guy, and he's standing there with a big plate, and he puts the plate down, and they put the money onto the plate, and then he turns around, and he walks up, and you can't see this very well, but right in the back, you, there's this, um, that's, that, that, that's sort of like a canopy. And on each side of the canopy, in Latin, it says, Sanctus, 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 all the way around. Holy, holy, holy. Beneath there. And this guy turns around, and he comes walking up. I'm a priest, or whoever he is. <laughs> he walks up with this, and he comes under this canopy of holiness, and he places it onto the altar. And all of a sudden... I start getting my hair standing up all over. I'm going, oh, my goodness. That was me, what I had done, my little bit. I only had a little bit of coin, but I put it in, and I was carried step by step into the very holy presence of God and being offered unto God as a holy sacrifice. The picture was brilliant. When I saw the picture... For the first time, I understood that my offering was a real act of worship before God. Now, I don't know that everybody else that was sitting there saw that. I have no idea what they were just going through the motions. But suddenly, I saw something behind what the intention was originally that our offering, that who we are, what we've put our, our effort and, our, and everything into be, we give it all to God. And this is a picture of us bringing in that form all that we are, all that we have, all that we hope to be, and offering it to God. I thought, whoa, there's, there's pictures in this that have meaning that are significant. I want to tell you, with all the opulence, all the money that's gone into all of those cathedrals that I have just showed you, we're talking about multiple millions, if not billions of dollars that have gone into all of those things, and none of them will compare to this. <laughs> this is the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle is um, 150 feet by 75 feet. So this here is 150 feet, and this here is 75 feet. That's the size of the whole thing. And, and it's got a curtain that goes around it. 
They've got some floorboards. We'll look at that in a minute. But um, when we read the scripture this morning, when he went to take up the offering, we'll just start with where that is. He says, now I want you to take up an offering. They had just basically plundered Egypt, remember? He's got 600,000 people that all plundered Egypt, and now they're bringing their offering to the Lord. And in today's money, it would be worth about a billion dollars, maybe more, but at least a billion dollars with all the gold and silver and bronze and everything that they're going to put together. And they're going to put it into a simple kind of tent that they can pick up and move. Now, the thing about this is that every aspect, I can't go into this in any major detail. I would love to spend a year just going through all of it because it is so dynamic. All of it, every single individual piece that God talks about points purely, directly to Jesus. And it is one of the most exciting things because he says, according to the pattern that I'm going to show you, I want you to build it. And he takes him up onto the mountain, and what he begins to see is one of the most incredible things. It is the same thing that John the Apostle saw on the island of Patmos when he had a vision of heaven. And you look into the book of Revelation, this is just one aspect of it, but there's several more. But one aspect, he saw the new Jerusalem that was coming down out of heaven, and it was a huge square city built 144 cubits, whatever that is, a perfect size, whatever it is. And this perfect measurement, height, length, and width is all 144 of it. It's a huge size of a city. It's a square. The same as this square called the Holy of Holies. In the city of God that he talks about, there is no shadow of turning. You can't turn around to see a shadow. There is no shadow. It's illumined by the presence of God Almighty, the glory of God that fills what happens there in the Revelation is that which fills this Holy of Holies as God sits on the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. He's sitting there, and it's all light on the end seas. Thick, thick, thick curtains and nobody's allowed to go in except the high priest once a year. Now, when they get up to move anywhere, the cloud that's above the Holy of Holies is going to start to move, and they have to pack everything up, and all the people are camped out around this tabernacle with their doors facing the tabernacle so that the presence of God is always before them, a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, in the middle of the desert, and when they want to, to move, they'll get up, and that cloud moves. Everybody packs everything up, and they start moving with the cloud. Wherever that cloud is going to take them, that's where they're going to go. Now, when I take a look at this, I, this bit, well, let, let, me, let me look at this. This is the inside of the tabernacle here. And if I can... See this square, 
it's five meters by five meters by five meters. Five meters is about 23, 24 feet. Well, let's get an idea of this. If I was to take, this is, this is small, right? By American standards, everything is bigger in Texas unless you're in Alaska. And <laughs> they make jokes about that all the time. If, if we sort of take half of this building down there from the door up to here, right? And down the middle, and then we go over to this wall over here. That's the size of the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. That's the size of this tent. Not very big, is it? And so one-third of that in a cube is this big. And this is the place of great value and importance to provide a pattern for people to understand something about the nature and the character of who God is. This is far more important than anything that any of those other cathedrals could possibly hope with all that they've done. <laughs> now, um, we'll start here. These are the, the th this is the furniture that they had to build. And if you'll notice, there's different pieces of furniture. The first one here is called the brazen altar. And that's where the, the people who want to come have to enter in this gate. Oh, I am the door. Enter into the gate, the narrow gate. I mean, all of these things in the New Testament point to Jesus, even the door to the tabernacle. If you want to come in, anybody can come in up to this place right here. And they bring their sacrifice for their sins. They're saying, I've got to have something for a sacrifice for my sin. And so they come in, and, and here's their sacrifice. Now, on the Day of Atonement, there's two. They have to have a perfect, two perfect goats. And one goat they're going to kill. They're going to place their hands on it. They're going to confess the sins of Israel, all the sins of Israel, onto this goat. They're going to, they're going to cut its throat. They're going to bleed it out. That they're going to collect the blood. The blood's going to be given to the high priest, and he's got stuff to do with it. I'll share that in a minute. And he takes the goat, and he puts it on the fire, and it's going to be consumed. The other one is going to do the same thing. He's going to lay his hands on He's going to confess the sins of all of Israel, and he's going to send that goat out into the wilderness and chase it away. And as the people are watching, they're saying, those are my sins, and they're being removed from me as far as the east is from the west. They have two visuals of what Jesus is going to do on the cross. On the cross, he is going to pay for our sin with his own blood, the cost of sin, and they're going to see their sin removed. I mean, the whole picture is brilliant. After that, there's this place here where the priests all the priests can come and they can wash. And, and, and it's the cleansing. Isn't that amazing? Those of us who know that we've come through Christ and we've been redeemed by his blood, we can go and be washed in the blood of the Lamb and be completely cleansed of our guilty conscience. So everything is cleansed on the inside. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus and what he does. 
But when the priest and only the high priest and, and, and his sons can go on the inside, this is the labor, this is where the washing is, there's three pieces inside. And there's, here is the lampstand, here is the showbread, and then there's the altar of incense. And the altar of incense is right in front of the curtain that leads to the Holy of Holies. Now all these, if you look at, sorry, look at that. It looks like a cross, just the way that they're set up. You go in by the blood, you get washed, you enter into the holy place, and in the holy place where the presence of God is, you have the light of the world, you have the bread of life, and then you have the intercessor who sits on the throne before God. All the things that Jesus is to his Father, he has called us to be as well. We are to be the light of the world. We are to be the bread of life. And we are to be the intercessors on behalf of those that are lost. Now, once a year he's allowed to go in to the very holy place. He goes through the veil. He's even got bells on the bottom of his robe that he has to keep ringing because if the bells stop ringing, there's a string or a rope tied to his foot, and they can pull him out dead. Because if he goes in there with sin, he takes the blood that came from the altar, and he's going to sprinkle it on the Ark of the Covenant, which is the seat of mercy where God is. And he's bringing the offering. He says, please, will you take this offering? Can you imagine the Father and Jesus coming and saying, Father, here is my life that I gave for all these people here at Long Creek <laughs> and wherever else you are in the world, <laughs> listening in. I mean, can you imagine that? And the Father says, I accept it. And in the place where there's only light, only light, there is no shadow, no darkness, nothing. Isn't that incredible? Now, you see, the pictures that are in all of these utensils in this whole thing that I have so briefly described are there as instruction to help people understand something about the nature of God, the holiness of God, the purposes of God, and to help us know that we need the presence of God in everything in our lives. This is what it's all about. And so in a society that can't read the Bible, they have the Bible basically given to them in a form that they can understand in a picture, in a pattern. The pattern is something that comes from heaven, and it's something that we can see later on in the New Testament, but it's just a pattern. The real thing is even greater than anything that this little pattern could be. It's a, it's a major event, a major event. Look at this. If we understood and lived in that time, couldn't you imagine we see the, the pillar, the cloud, if we, if we could see the fire move, if we could, could, could know that, that our sins are removed in the same way that goat is being chased out in, into the desert. If we, if we, wouldn't it be interesting that we could say that's what life is about, that's what, what gives our lives meaning, this is what we are to become, we are to become like Jesus, the light, the bread, and the intercessors. <laughs> now, when I was in the Philippines, 
in the city of Cebu. I went to the Metropolitan Cathedral in Cebu, and in the back of the, of the uh, place, there's this big mural of how uh, Christianity came to the Philippines. And there's a picture of the king who's kneeling down before the priest, and the priest has a bowl of water to baptize him in one hand and a sword in the other. And all around him are the Spanish soldiers that are standing there with all of their weapons, ready if this guy doesn't get baptized. I'm thinking, what in the world does that tell me? They have, they have statues that have been worn down because of people kissing the feet. And the feet are basically gone <laughs> from the statues, whether they're stone or iron. Here, here's, here's one we went to in Guatemala. Now, this picture doesn't really do it justice, but you can see on the steps how black it is, especially over in, uh, in this part of the picture right here. You know why it's so black and sooty? Because there are, there, there are local witch doctors who come and burn their chickens and offer their sacrifices to their gods on the stairs leading up into this Catholic cathedral. And when you go in, it has signs that say, do not disturb the local people from the worship. And you have to go through several of these different stages where these burnt offerings are brought to idols while in the back there's a Catholic priest trying to hold some kind of a church service. We've been there. We've seen it with our own eyes. And I'm sitting there going, what kind of a picture is that? In, in all of these things that I'm looking at, I have to take a look at something else that comes up. I actually, sorry, I've got that here. I can put it up. Um, this is out of the Revelation. It says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is amongst his people. It's here. This is what God intended, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. But this is what really got me. In chapter 25, which I read, which said, according to the pattern that I'm giving you, I want you to build this. In chapter 32, while Moses is up talking to God on the mountain, getting this incredible picture, seeing the heavens opened up, getting the pattern given to him to go down and build the presence of God amongst the people where God wants to come and dwell and be with them and be their God and they are to be his people. Right in the midst of that, he says, now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled around Aaron and said... To him, come, make us a God who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what happened to him. I want to cry. 
I read that, I'm saying, these guys went through all the ten plagues of Egypt, came through the Red Sea on dry land. They celebrated the God. They told Moses that they would do all that God commanded them. They can't even wait for him to come down with this incredible gift from heaven. <laughs> and they're out looking for gods from Egypt. And I'm sitting there going, Lord, there, there's something drastically wrong here. They can't even keep their own promise for a few days. And what do they do? They pick up something that they know that they have experienced out of their life in Egypt and they want to reinvent that and make a God according to their thoughts and their patterns. They want to have the God of this world visible to them the way that they want it. They want to form God in their image rather than allow God to form them in his image. Did you understand that? When people get caught up, if I get caught up in the pattern, I say, well, look, there's a pattern of a harp up there. You want to know something about that harp? It's just the pattern. It's a picture of a harp. It's a shadow of a harp. It cannot play, and it does not do anything. Just a picture. The praise comes from a person's heart who is worshiping God with all of his heart and soul and mind because they've come to know him as the great deliverer and they know his power at live and working in their lives. They know that he is the one that they're looking to and they want to be the sons and daughters of the Most High God. They don't want a God that's like them with all the mistakes and all the failures that we have in our lives. We don't want a fleshly, worldly God. We want the Creator God. I'm sitting there going, people take the image and the pattern. Can you imagine? We, we, got, we got these pictures back. On uh, How many of you saw the pictures of the pillowcase dresses in, in, that, that arrived. Well, if you get on Facebook, go to uh, Long Creek uh, Baptist Church members and you'll see the, the dresses that were made in, over here in this room that went to the Philippines and how excited the people were and how they're going. Can you imagine what would have happened if we just sent them the pattern? <laughs> Imagine they open up this big box and there's a pattern for dresses. <laughs> no dresses, just patterns. And they can sit there and look at the pattern and go, uh, <laughs> where's the joy in that? Where's the joy in the pattern? Where's the joy in the shadows? You know, you, know, you can look at your shadow. I got a shadow down here. <laughs> I'd rather be me, not a shadow. The, the, the shadow can't do anything except follow me around. You know, shadows are not the real thing. The pattern is not the real thing. When we went to build our center in Germany, the, the, the architect drew these wonderful pictures and sat down and explained it all to me, but I couldn't live on a piece of paper. 
I couldn't conduct our business on a piece of paper. I needed the building. I needed more than the pattern. But what happens when we turn our eyes aside and start to think that the pattern is the real thing, we become deceived in our hearts and in our minds, and we try to create God in an image of man. If I think God is a God of love, I'm going to get, I'm going to get nailed for this one. If I think that God is a God of love, and, and love is, is everything that God is about, and he loves everybody and, and everything, and I can ignore everything that he says about morality, then I can start to figure out, even though God's word is clear, that homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God. Very clear. It's not a matter of my opinion. It's not a matter of my opinion. But if I start to try to create God in my image, I will see that homosexuals love one another. They want to be faithful to one another. There must be uh, a God present in the midst of that. And so they must be acceptable to God. And I have recreated God according to the image that I want him to be and not trying to be conformed to the image of who God is, a covenant God who has made a covenant with me that he does not want to destroy, but he wants to be faithful to it in every aspect. You see, there's a world of difference between the two. One is I tried to readjust my life according to how I want God to be to me. And the other one is I allow God to readjust my life so that I am a child of the King. And I begin to understand that when he calls me holy, I am holy. When he calls me a saint, I am a saint. When he calls me righteous, I am righteous. It doesn't give me an excuse to change what sin is. It gives me the right to be set free from sin and to live the way that God wants me to live. I sit here and I look at the pattern. I don't want the pattern. I want the real thing. And if I want the real thing, then I've got to be willing to let go of the pattern and allow the Holy Spirit to create in me the life that he wants to create. You see, if if they were only following a man, Moses, they had missed it. If they were only going to follow the pattern of the tabernacle or the temple or, or the cathedral or whatever it is, they miss it. It's not about how beautiful or how comfortable this building is. It's about your heart relationship with Almighty God and the way that Jesus has brought you together with his Father and introduced his Father to you. And you have entered into the very glory of the presence of God. It's a whole different, whole different ballgame. It's not about me following a preacher or a great evangelist. It's about me following Jesus. And when I do that, I will not violate the laws of God because he is going to lead me in the ways of righteousness for his name's sake. I don't violate it. If I 
have been born again of the Spirit of God and the very presence of God has filled my life on the inside. My mind is being renewed on a daily basis. Then as the Word of God comes alive to me, no matter how it comes alive to me, by other people reading it or speaking it or me reading it in my devotions, whatever it is, suddenly I say, Lord, that's a mystery I don't understand. But I'm going to leave it with you and I'm going to trust you anyway. You know, we have so many people in America try to work through the issues and try to understand everything. Like how Lindsay, you know, was reading through the Revelation and, and tried to understand what the Revelation meant today. And so he thought the locusts were uh, helicopters and writes a book about that and, and of course, had no idea of drones. <laughs> but he also had no idea that the beginning of the book said that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And everyone who reads it, regardless of which age they live in, is going to be blessed. And nobody who read it in the first century knows anything about helicopters or drones. And if it really was helicopters and drones, they wouldn't have been blessed by it. You see, the, the word of God comes alive to us when we start saying, I don't understand it. I'm just going to leave it at that. This is a mystery. And I don't have to understand it because I know the one who holds the future and he will work it out and the day will come and I will understand it. And I don't have to worry about it. And I don't have to try to defend things like that when I know the one that I stand for and I know who holds my life in his hands. It's a whole different ballgame if I'm if I'm not following an individual, but I'm following Jesus. Well, if we don't want to live in all of this, you know, the, the pattern, <laughs> I, I, I read this in, in Colossians. It says, um, don't let anybody act as your judge in regard to food and drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Take care that no one keeps defrauding you of the prize by delighting in humility and the worship of angels taking a stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind and not holding firmly to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. What a powerful word. I put this one there as the last slide. Don't be deceived by the shadows. Let's live in the light. Father, I want to thank you that we don't have to embrace shadows. That you are the light of the world and you have come to dwell within everyone who has repented of their sins and confessed you as their Lord and Savior. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, that you come to transform our lives from the inside out. And then your present that we become the very tabernacle that you inhabit so that when the cloud moves, we move. When the cloud stops, we stop. 
and that we can trust you to build us together into a body of people, each using our own gifts, that starts to demonstrate together the amazing unity that's present in your kingdom. Father, we don't want to withdraw from that, but we want to be actively involved in seeing your kingdom built amongst us. In the name of Jesus, amen.